Well, this has worked out perfectly for uh, We want to get the timing right on everything. Well, I couldn't have timed this one better than to have Don Vialo, timingthemarket.ca, to join us today uh, to talk about all things investment, of course. Don, appreciate you finding time. And uh, obvious start to the year that's been incredibly nasty, negative, wherever you look around the world. And it had me thinking about the so-called January barometer, the idea that somehow in the first week, two weeks, how January went, so went the rest of the year. How accurate is that kind of seasonal approach, Ben? Yeah, thanks, for Michael, for inviting me. Uh, it's an interesting um, uh, talking point that the media frequently mention, uh, the January effect. Uh, there's lots of ways of measuring it. Uh, there's uh, measuring what happens during the first week in January, uh, measuring what happens at the, by the whole month of January, uh, and then comparing that with what happens at, by the end of the year. Uh, Equity Clog recently did a study on this and found that the, uh, uh, on average, it's pretty uh, random. In fact, on 47% of the time, this particular uh, saying that whatever happens in January happens by the end of the year will actually occur. So basically, it's a flip of the coin. So it's uh, it's a nice comment to 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 say out in the media, but it's not something which is that reliable. Yeah, I, it sort of reminds me of the Super Bowl phenomena. You know, it hasn't been. You certainly don't want to be predicating any investment decisions based on that, because as you say, flip the coin and you get better at things. But what about this? You know, we've again had this nasty uh, finishing to the year. I mean, the highs looked like they were made last May in a lot of markets. Have we broken any significant uptrend lines? You know, that we that you would say on a significant basis, we've reversed this long-term bull market we've been in. It's been fascinating what's been happening uh, since the beginning of the year. Clearly, the, there's been a lot of technical damage done uh, for most equity indices. Uh, in fact, uh, we've had such a huge drawdown again on, on Friday that there's no in- indication yet that this current uh, correction is over. And in fact, going farther into the future, during the next couple of weeks, don't look for very good uh, positive news. Uh, for example, the S&P 500 companies on average are expected to report a decline on a year-over-year basis of in earnings of 5.7%. We've seen 30% of the S&P 500 companies report to date, or I'm sorry, 6% have reported to date. Uh, of those companies, almost all of them have declined, even though their earnings have actually been slightly better than consensus. Now, now that I've scared you, there's a lot of good <laughs> news going forward, so let's get into that. Well, yeah, that's exactly why I'm asking is because, you know, we uh, Michael Levy was alluding to a report earlier uh, in the show talking about they said, you know, get out of everything. You know, I think it was RBS who said that um, Ambrose Pritchard was writing that in the Financial Times, you know, head for the hills kind of approach. And so that's I wanted to give some perspective on that from you. Well, the interesting thing is that markets are so oversold now that we're due for a bit of a bounce. And let me give you some good news coming forward. First of all, uh, looking at uh, just a, uh, an indicator that I found very, very helpful over the long term. Uh, I look at the percentage of S&P 500 stocks that are trading above their 200-day moving average. Now, they normally range between t- uh, 25% on the low side to 80% on the upside. It's only been down to 25% on four occasions during the last 15 years. And on each one of those occasions, when it bounced back above the 25% level, the market went into an intermediate uptrend. Well, currently, the, uh, that ratio, percentage of 
of S&P 500 stocks above their 200-day moving average is at 21.4%. We're there, and we're just getting set up for the uh, uh, the bounce, which hasn't happened yet. So be very careful over the next couple of weeks when earnings are coming out. But looking beyond these really bad fourth quarter results, look for another phenomenon, and that is when companies report bad results, look for many of them to report positive guidance going into the first quarter of next year. There's a reason for this. It has a lot to do with the U.S. dollar. U.S. dollar a year ago was at 87. It's now at 98. A lot of companies are being hurt by the strong U.S. dollar. But once you get into the first quarter, comparisons become a lot easier, and the earnings picture turns positive for the first time in seven quarters. So a change in the direction of earnings by S&P 500 companies as a result of currency change is going to be a big deal coming into the latter part of January and into into springtime this year. Uh, you know, and now also we can go a little bit further and dig down a little bit deeper and, and ask about the specific indexes. And obviously, you know, the majority of people wonder what the heck is with the Toronto Stock Exchange also. I mean, it's had a more severe decline from its highs than the Dow Jones has or the S&P. Uh, you know, what, what perspective can you put on the Toronto Stock Exchange for us? Got some good news for you on Toronto as well. Historically, from around the middle of December until around the end of February, the TSC composite outperforms the S&P 500. Believe it or not, it actually is happening again this year. I'm not saying much because they both have gone down. But the, uh, what's already happening is the Toronto market is starting to outperform the S&P 500. So that's a positive. The other positive is that looking at fourth quarter earnings for Canadian companies, they're actually not going to be that bad. On average, for the TSX 60 companies, earnings on a year-over-year basis are going to be flat. In other words, the 30 companies will report better than expected, better than expected uh, earnings relative to last year, and 30 companies will report less than what they reported last year. So the picture in Canada from an earnings point of view is actually better than the States. And as you get into early next year, because of the low US, Canadian dollar, we're going to start to show some significant benefit, much better earnings picture in Canada than they have in the U.S. So the picture in Canada is actually more impressive than in the U.S. Well, you know, the other thing I'm waiting for is Americans to look across the border and realize that Canadian stocks aren't just off a couple of thousand points or 13, 14, 15 percent. You got it. When you throw the exchange rate, we're on sale. I mean, we got some quality companies up here and I'm waiting for the Americans to discover them. Allah, what you're saying there. Yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine just today. And, uh, he has a consulting uh, company here in Canada, and they're selling uh, their uh, products mainly to the U.S. and to U.S. companies in U.S. dollars. And they're smiling. They're very happy with, with what's happened with the Canadian dollar during the last little while. Any company in Canada that's selling their products uh, into the United States is really doing very, very well. And they're going to get better as we go forward because of where the Canadian dollar currently stands. Yeah, that's been one of the big themes on our show was, 
again, it starts with our, our feeling that the U.S. dollar over the last three years was going to get far stronger, but then to look for Canadian companies who that benefited. And, uh, yeah, I think we're there. And I, as I say, I think Canadian assets on sale. Uh, look, I, I want to take a break, Don, because I don't want to get caught in the middle of something, but there's a ton of cyclicality I want to ask you about, or seasonality, pardon me, seasonality. And there's one trade that you've been telling us about over the years that looks like it may be setting up again. If you think you want to take advantage of gasoline prices, well, wait to hear what's happened in the wholesale market. And as I say, Don's brought this to our attention for several years. And man, has it percentage been a winner for us? I'll talk to Don Vialo about that when we come back. I'm glad you're with us on Money Talks. I've got a shocking stat that I'm sure will really encourage people to send me some more pleasant emails. And if that doesn't, I guarantee my goofy will. All of that coming your way. Right now, though, Don Vialo, timingthemarket.ca, talking about cyclical, uh, technical, and seasonal movements. Don, I just don't want to – I'll get back to some other stuff in the broader market, and I'm going to ask you about oil and uh, what its seasonality looks like to you, uh, ask you about gold, etc. But let me just come to one that I don't want to run out of time, and that is uh, – Wholesale gasoline. This is a trade that you've told us about uh, over the years. That the pro- it's worked out every single time you've told us about it. The probability seems very high, and that is, uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks, the price of wholesale gasoline bottoms, and you just look for th- you know whether it's into April, into June, that period, you look to sell it. Uh, the symbol for the exchange traded fund is UGA. How does that set up? Tell us what the probability's been in the past or the seasonality's been in the past, and what are you looking for now? Yeah, it's fascinating how this one has worked so well over the years. Uh, you're right, the period of seasonal strength is from around the end of January right through until the first week in May. And it has a lot to do with the, the driving cycle as we get into uh, the spring driving season coming into uh, the uh, holiday around the beginning of May. And uh, this year uh, hasn't lined up yet. The the price of gasoline is still trending on the downside. I'd like to see some technical indicators to show that it has actually bottomed, and uh, we'll go from there. We'll be watching it very closely on on uh, the blog, and we'll let you know when that happens. It's fascinating this year because the price of gasoline has come down so much, and it's had a big impact on a lot of people, not only in Canada but also the U.S. In the U.S. There was recently a study done that, on average, uh, for a family that has one car, that over the past year, the lower cost of gasoline has meant a saving of $750 in the pockets of the the consumer. That's a huge uh, benefit, and ultimately that's going to be a reason why uh, consumer spending is going to start or continue to go higher into the early part of, uh, of 2016. Approximately 80% of that actually has been spent on things in the in the family as opposed to savings. Uh, just very quickly for people in Canada, what we're Don and I are talking about is the wholesale price of gasoline. Uh, it's not the gasoline at the pump because that's not the same thing. Only about a third of what you're paying at the pump, depending where you live in the country, but about a third of what you pay in the pump is wholesale gasoline. 
you know, the, another third of might be for refineries, for the retailer. Uh, certainly a third is going to be in some level of taxation. Again, depending where you live, you might have a provincial, you will have a provincial other than Alberta, but you have a provincial, you have a federal, and you have municipal taxes out in Vancouver, Montreal. You lead the way in terms of how much tax is at the pump. I get a lot of people, Don, who are just confused. Well, you just said the price went way down. Well, my price hasn't got way down. Two things. One, again, we're talking about U.S. dollar denominated. The fall in the Canadian dollar means uh, some of that price hasn't been passed along to Canadians. Why? Because it's measured in U.S. Canadian dollars fallen 40 percent, you know, over the last couple of years. So you don't get that. But it's also only a third of what you pay at the pump. What we're talking about is playing the commodity, very much like talking about gold compared to jewelry. You know, it's a component price. So I just wanted to save myself all those emails, Don, uh, you know, that people keep saying, I don't understand why ours hasn't gone down as much. Well, it's very straightforward. Uh, yeah, you're right. But you were uh, saying, that what's the percentage of time this has worked? Uh, it's, it's very high. It's about nine times out of ten. It doesn't work every year, yeah. but pretty close to it. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. Uh, watch UGA. It's an easy way of actually buying gasoline prices on a wholesale basis. And so that should be an opportunity. Let's go pull up something here to see where the current price is. As of the close yesterday, the wholesale price in the states is a dollar six. Would you believe? And then, of course, yeah. as you mentioned, you add refining costs and taxes on top of that to get approximately a price in the states of around two dollars per gallon. In Canada, uh, we have also benefited, but not nearly as much uh, from what we've seen. Uh, because the Canadian dollar declining has had an impact on gasoline prices here in Canada as well. Well, what always kills me is that, again, it's it's very predictable with this. I wish people would just take the time to understand it. But, uh, you know, they're always talking about big oil gouging us or whatever. Let's be very clear. Government makes the fu- the biggest proportion on any uh, liter of gasoline that you buy. It's government who's the big winner. The numbers are exceptionally clear on that. Uh, Don, but speaking of uh, this kind of a product, I want to come and get your, your view, seasonality, uh, what you're seeing technically on oil prices. Obviously, a breakdown recently. Uh, we took it below $30. Uh, what do you see right now in your charts and in the seasonality? It's fascinating. Uh, crude oil prices have been coming down. And to be expected, they would come down based on seasonality. Normally, crude oil prices reach their seasonal peak around the beginning of September, and they move lower until approximately the end of uh, January. At that point in time, they develop a base building pattern, and then going into the springtime, uh, crude oil prices start to move higher once again. We haven't seen that yet. We've seen crude oil prices just during the last uh, week hit uh, multi-month lows. So the technicals are not saying to buy the crude oil yet, but it's going to be going to be coming up uh, around the end of this month, beginning into February. The ETF to buy there is similar as USO. Uh, there's actually several of them, but that's probably the most actively traded one. Let me come to one other aspect of the price that uh, a lot of times doesn't get included, and that's, of course, we are measuring all of the commodities in U.S. dollars. So a continued strength in the U.S. dollar is going to you know, put downward pressure on pricing in commodities. Uh, do you, what do you see in the U.S. dollar at this point? Well, there's the good news. What's happened with the U.S. dollar is it, it reached a fairly important peak last March, and that corrected very briefly, and then it came back, and then it... At the beginning of December of last year, it once again reached around the 100 level. 
subsequent to that, it's gone flat to slightly lower. And that's ultimately going to be positive for commodity prices. Not as yet, with the exception of gold, but ultimately when you see the U.S. dollar index uh, flattening to going lower, that is going to be positive for commodity prices going forward. I'm talking to Don Vialo, timingthemarket.ca. That's where you can go. Don updates it every day. So when stuff happens, you just click on that and you find out what's going on. Don, you just mentioned gold. That's one I have to get to. Yeah, I got some good news for you there. Let's look at gold in a number of ways. First of all, let's look at gold in Canadian dollar terms. Would you believe since the beginning of December with the Canadian dollar going down and the U.S. dollar flattening, the price of gold in Canadian dollars has actually gone up 13%. That's a pretty good move in the last six weeks. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, ultimately is positive for gold stocks. Now, gold stocks have a period of seasonal strength from around the middle of December until the end of February. So that's kind of interesting. It kind of coincides with uh, the PDAC conference here in Toronto, which this year is from March the 6th to 9th. Historically, that's been the period when gold stocks have done very well. I'm not looking for a move like we had last year from the middle of December to the beginning of March when the TSX gold index went up 30%. I'm not expecting that to happen this year. But we're already starting to see the TSE gold index bottom form a nice little base pattern. And since uh, the end of November, the TSX gold index is already up 7%. It's fitting the seasonal pattern. And we still have, uh, well, another almost two months to go before the, the PDAC conference is held here. And there's lots of room on the upside for Canadian gold stocks. And, and have they started to move yet? Because, of course, then they'd be swimming a, a, against a very strong current that's been going down over the last several weeks. Uh, so have you seen sort of the gold index, uh, you know, measuring some of the senior producers? Have you seen that bounce back at, at yet? Or has the sort of tide of the market been too much to go against? We have. We've seen uh, some of the senior gold stocks, uh, like, well, I guess, senior to middle, middle uh, quantity companies, companies like Agnico Eagle, are already starting to show signs of uh, some bottoming and some nice recurrence on the upside. Not all of them have done that well, but uh, quite a few of them have. And so that's the reason why the TSX uh, gold index, as of the close yesterday, uh, was up 7% from the end of November. Wow, that's an impre- that's an impressive move, and I know that uh, you know gold itself has been okay at least, as you say, in Canadian dollar terms, more than okay, but in U.S. dollar terms, has been okay. But that's an impressive move when the stocks can kind of fight such a powerful downtrend. It certainly is, and let's face it: if you get a thirteen percent increase in the price of your product that you're selling to in the U.S. dollar terms uh, over the last six weeks, that's got to be positive for Canadian gold uh, producers. Well, Don, I'm sorry our time has run out here. As usual, it's been fascinating, but I'll encourage people to go to timingthemarket.ca, and we're going to follow up a couple of the trades that you mentioned with us today. And I appreciate I know you're traveling coming up soon. I wish you were here in Vancouver with us for the World Outlook, but uh, we'll, talk to you next, we'll, we'll talk to you before that, but we'll see you next year. Thanks, Don. Thank you, Michael. My pleasure. Don Vialo. Take a break. Come back. I've got a shocking stat for you. Oh, let's get ready for people to say that guy is hopeless. Well, it comes with this week's shocking stat. I was just reading about how President Obama's family travel bill, this isn't the official business, this is just traveling with his family, 
has now cost the U.S. taxpayer, are you ready, 70 million U.S. dollars. 70 million U.S. Seven zero. He's taken 23 holidays, a total of 177 days. This is all according to Judicial Watch. And uh, it costs a fortune. It costs over $200,000 an hour to fly Air Force One. That means uh, when he took his latest trip to Hawaii, that's uh, the round trip is $3.6 million. But his total travel bill in the seven years has been $70 million. Which brings me to one of the lamest bromides offered by celebrity and political apologists for their incredible carbon-munching ways. When I'm critical of the celebrities not walking the walk, when I'm critical of leaders not walking the walk, when I'm critical of the Canadian contingent to Paris, that drives some people crazy. They say, don't you know we bought carbon offsets? That's got to be the lamest thing I've heard. Uh, One, for example, is very angry with me uh, for saying that about the Paris summit. Well, first off, in the Paris summit, do the work. France became the first host country not to purchase carbon offsets for the carbon footprint created by hosting the conference. They did not. So get a few facts right. But that misses my point. I'll give you an example. Last year, a friend of mine planted a new lawn and a hedge. Is he then able to spew carbon for a number of weeks as an offset? Because that's what we're talking about. I'm not the first person, including some in the environmental movement, to point out how similar the idea that you can buy carbon offsets to spe- you know, so that you can spew all the other carbon you want in your lifestyle, i.e. Leonardo DiCaprio has five mansions, private jet, monster yacht. Why? Because he's bought carbon credits. That's an awful lot like the papal dispensation in medieval times where the well-to-do could wash away their sins by giving money to the church. I mean, this has got to be the lamest thing I'm hearing offering up in the environmental movement, but it's offered up by elites. Why? Because they're excusing their behavior. In this case, middle and upper middle class, along with the uber rich, who can simply buy their high carbon emissions lifestyle off by buying carbon offsets? Because the fact is that some of those schemes have been proven to be outrageous frauds, but the whole concept is a scam designed to rationalize outrageous personal behavior, like going to Paris when you have no official role in your negotiations. And be careful when you send me that email, because it's very straightforward. There are some quality people in the environmental movement who criticize the very same thing. People who kidded themselves, by the way, in Paris by thinking their, inte- their attendance made one iota of difference. It didn't. But oh, it's okay. They bought carbon offsets. Yeah, and I'm going to buy a half dozen flowering trees this spring and plant them. Boy, aren't I a great guy. Look how I'm reducing my carbon footprint. Really, if you're buying into that nonsense, uh, there's just a truck you can drive through the logic of that. But my shocking stat, President Obama spent s- and his family This is not official business, $70 million on personal travel. I'll take a break. I'll come back. I've got Aussie Jurek, so much to talk about there. Victor Adair, live from the trading desk. What a start to the year. All of that coming on Money Talks. You're listening to Money Talks. Glad you're with us, and I hope you do join me. It's just two weeks away, January 29th and 30th, World Outlook Conference 
And, uh, you know, what, what better setup? And I think for a couple of reasons. One is look at all that's going on. Two is look at how accurate we've been at the World Outlook Conference. And we've got John Johnston back. We talk about a Canadian dollar breaking 70. Wait till you hear what he thinks is coming next. Same with Joseph Schachter. You just heard Don Vilo. I'm going to be very interested to get Joseph Schachter's take on oil. And it's going to be just about perfect timing when the Outlook uh, Conference starts. Now, keep in mind, Joseph was a guy who called it right to the number. Number. You know, that breakdown from 107, uh, you know, as I say, think about that. Go back in time. That sounded crazy. Well, he was very clear that we were going down and down sharply. And uh, even again, as we hit 60, 50, 40, we had him saying, no, not there yet. We'll check with him. Martin Armstrong is going to be with me. And if you've heard Marty before, you don't need any reintroduction to him. You know how accurate he's been, uh, accurate he's been how good it's been, all of that. And Ozzy Jurek's going to be there. We've got a special section on real estate this year. You might recall, or I hope you do recall, uh, Ozzy's advice, not just the hot markets and the ones to stay away from in Canada, but my goodness, those... Uh, recommendations as he went through uh, where to go in the states in phoenix was where he had uh, focused that whole area but my goodness uh, you get the canadian dollar you get the rise in the real estate there that's been a home run ozzy jerk joins me on the line right now and as i say he'll be hosting a special whole package on real estate that includes jeff olin of vision capital uh, jeff has done a fabulous job one of the things he told you on this show if you were listening and followed through he gave specific recommendations on how to pay play rather the calgary commercial real estate market to go down he was not a johnny come lately to that done very well for his investors Ozzy Jurek, as I say, joins me on the line now. Ozzy, I, I got to start with China this week. We just saw the, some of the gyrations coming out of China. Uh, you know, what kind of impact do you see that happening uh, or having on real estate outside of China? Well, the thing is, the big question, and I must have had a hundred questions this week. If I had one, is will they keep coming, right? And the, will they will they uh, slowing down the stock market? Will they have left money over? Will they take their money out and back to China like they did in 1998? And well, there's a there's a world of difference, and we're going to spend a lot of details on that at the uh, Outlook Conference. I look, really look forward to to have the. The, the time uh, to really explain all the influences that are that are going to determine our markets in the future and the ongoing investment from China is a major part because what's happening in mainland China is people are scared I mean uh, the last week there was a report that now China doesn't let uh, any money be converted into US dollar over a thousand dollars even with government officials monitoring counters and when you have that fear of being able to get the money out, they look for something very, very unique and very safe. And when I used to work in Taiwan, um, you know, right now with the election going on, my friends from Taiwan tell me there's huge amounts of money coming from mainland China into Taiwan. The money is fleeing. And because it's fleeing, it will look for some safety. You know, the Chinese have a saying, a good rabbit has three holes. Well, Vancouver is one of those holes and will continue to be. And they're not going to take the money back because in 1998 there was a reason. They thought that mainland China would do a poor job repatriating Hong Kong. It didn't. It did a great job. And so all the money that was here for, for those reasons went back. But it's now a different reason. They don't trust the currency. They don't trust even the government uh, official rates of, uh, of the reports on their GDP. They say actually it's negative GDP. They have whole cities being built. There are ghost cities, airports that no airplanes fly. So while it looks good, the reality is the economy is poor. Real estate values have gone down. 
and they want to get their money safe, never mind whether it's going to go up in value. And another thing you'll be addressing at the World Outlook Conference, and you need more time to do this, but I want to get a quick preview. In the past, uh, especially more recently, in the last several years, when you've seen the stock market take big hits, money has actually left the market and gone into, I'd call it high-quality real estate. They're looking for yield kind of thing, feeling that real estate, I mean, obviously the subprime mortgage crisis was a killer in some areas, but I think Canadians don't see it that way because of how solid real estate was. And I I suspect that some money out of the stock market is going to find its way into uh, again, into real estate, especially again, we got some new lows in the 10 and five year bonds. No question. I mean, the CEO is looking for yields. And in 1987, the average investment in Canadian pension funds in real estate was under 2%. After that crash, uh, the, the, it, it went up dramatically to almost 6%. And now we have uh, CEOs across the country looking at hotel investments, uh, storage uh, places, I mean, anything to, to have the yield. And now look at your balance sheet. My goodness gracious, that, that again will take a huge amount of money, will probably go into REITs, it will go into a whole bunch of different asset classes, which we're going to be talking about also on the 29th. Yeah, you'll be, and again, you're going to be talking about things like REITs, uh, you know, you don't have time to do it here, obviously, but how to buy cash flow and the multiplier effect, that kind of stuff. Obviously, by the way, also, you're going to be telling us what the hot markets are, what to stay away from, that kind of stuff. But uh, that's why I'm so excited. Uh, this is a big new thing that we're trying at the Outlook Conference. You know, we're starting at 1 o'clock on Friday the 29th, and we're doing, you know, what, four hours on this. So it's a really good chance to kind of get this real estate. And as I say, I suspect more and more people continue to get interested, as you just alluded to, pension funds are. Why? Because their inter- you know, the yield problem is huge. I mean, when I was just looking at five-year bonds, Aussie, on Friday, they were yielding 0.511%, five-year government bonds, about a half percent. Well, it's not tough to beat that in the real estate side. Well, that's right. And, you know, like I was listening to Kevin O'Leary saying, well, real estate is terrible. You have to be an idiot to buy a house in Canada. Well, he looks at it from a billionaire's perspective and that he he pays cash for the unit and then he only looks at the the return you get on the full price. But but if you offer about 25 to 30 percent down and then have a 20 percent increase, well, you have 100 percent return on your money. And we're going to talk about this multiplier effect in in in. Um, large real estate complexes, whether it's industrial or whether it's residential. And you'll be surprised what the returns are. They've been nothing short of spectacular this year. Well, I'm looking forward to it. we got time maybe for one hot property. We have a foreclosure on Langley. It's a condo. It's asking is 169.9. There's a unit that sold for 215000 just recently. It needs some tender loving care, maybe ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000. But the, you could, should be able to pick up a quick $32,000. But remember, it's a foreclosure. It needs court approval. Good stuff. You can find everything there at jrock.com, J-U-R-O-C-K.com. Or you come to the World Outlook Conference and ask Ozzy yourself. Ozzy, have a great weekend. And you too, Mike. Thank you. And again, just go to moneytalks.net. You can get uh, the daily business comment. I hope you do that. It's not because you're going to agree. It's because it will spur some thought. There's uh, so many aspects of what's going on today that I see don't get coverage. Uh, we're sort of, uh, you know, in a, in a straitjacket mindset there. So that's why I say it. Plus, you can hear the midweek report. Go back, re-listen to anything you saw and heard on Money Talks. So that's moneytalks.net and get your ticket for the World Outlook Conference. I'll take a break. We're going live to the trading desk. That thing must be heating up with Victor Adair and a Goofy Award.
I just mentioned going to moneytalks.net and listening to the business comments. I do one every day. A great example, though, is, you know, my mom doesn't want you to grow up stupid. So just check out the latest one on Friday about the infrastructure nonsense that we're hearing peddled. I'm not blaming, by the way, the federal liberals. It's just way overblown what that could do for the economy. It should be part of the debate to be accurate. So have a listen to that, plus so many more. Victor Dare joins me now live from the trading desk. Uh, Vic, an incredible week again, and we said that last week. I could probably replay my intro, but the bottom line is it's really interesting to see the correlation in the markets. One market very weak, like oil, bringing down everything else, or China. I could choose any one of those. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Well, well, the oil and China just kind of compound each other, but if you were to ask me the question, you know, what is driving the market right now, I'd say it's fear about crude oil falling more. You know, that's, that's how I can explain it in 25 words or less. Obviously, the Canadian dollar is going to be pushed around one way or the other by Canadian, uh, by the crude oil market. The high-yield debt market, which is, oh, there's so much money out there that's been borrowed by the energy sector. But even the entire S&P 500 stock index in the United States, which usually, historically, has about a zero correlation to the price of oil, is now the, the, the biggest factor pushing it around is crude oil. Here's where it's at. You know, the market, I think, can easily imagine right now that crude oil could fall some more. We have had in the last two weeks or so what I call several serious research reports by big outfits around the world that have forecast that crude oil will fall below $20 sometime soon before it rallies back above 40 later in the year. So the market has worries in it. We've got the Canadian dollar down at 13-year lows. We've seen the, you know, the, the Dow Jones fall off 1,500 points here in the last two weeks. The market is, has been driven by fear that crude oil is going to keep going down. And, uh, and as I know you mentioned earlier this week, uh, we were chatting about the Western Canadian Select. That's the price they get out of the oil sands in Alberta. That's already hit 15 bucks. Yeah, that's the, our benchmark for Canadian crude. And, of course, part of the problem, and it's kind of landlocked. You know, there's only a few ways you can get it out of the country. But on the other side, Mike, I just did a quick research scan. Gasoline is selling below 70 cents in Edmonton this morning while we're still trading at a do- around a dollar four in Vancouver. Yeah, and again, the differentiation is going to be in tax. I don't have to walk work too hard to understand <laughs> that one. Uh, Okay, very quickly, Vic, you're approaching the market now. You've seen the crude. What have you? What are you doing with this kind of a market? Uh, I think it's a very binary market right now. That's one of those fancy new words. Uh, There's two schools of thought, okay? Uh, The one is that the sell-off on crude is way overdone, that the market's at an emotional extreme. All the bad news is built in it. There's huge speculative short positions. There is no... Risk premium. Remember, we used to have risk premium, 20 bucks a barrel maybe. Well, it seems like there's, there isn't any right now, so any kind of what we call politely, you know, a geopolitical risk event could cause a, a short-covering spike in the price of oil. So that's one school of thought. The other side is <laughs> that the pain could get unbelievably worse. When a market's going down, you've got no idea how far down is. Fear happens fast, that kind of thing. Here's what I've done. I've said to myself on Friday, sell panic. So the Canadian dollar at a 13-year low, I can get a terrific premium for selling out of the money puts on Canadian dollars. I've got my toe in the water doing that. And these are for my short-term trading accounts. For my savings, I have still got over a third of my net worth in U.S. dollars. I'm very happy I did it. I wish I'd done a bigger position, but, you know, (laughs) woulda, coulda, shoulda. 
Hell yeah, that's how it all goes. Vic, thanks very much. Have a terrific weekend. Thanks, Mike. You too. Thanks for having me on. My thank. My thanks to Vic, my thanks to Eamon Piercy, my thanks to Don Vialo, Michael Levy, Ozzy Jurek, uh, and, of course, Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club is a royalty-based, meaning you get paid first, no fees, in the tech sector. Well, check it out at soleraclub.com. Time now for this week's Goofy Award. You know, some subjects are a little too heavy for this kind of thing. I'm going to go into one today, and I do hesitate to talk about it. It's easily hijacked, misinterpreted, etc., But I am very perturbed about how some stories are getting overlooked by the mainstream media. Uh, I'll give you a great example. Uh, The the outrageous assault of 700 women on New Year's Eve uh, in Cologne, Germany, by men of North African, Middle Eastern origins. They covered it up. The police chief, uh, for that reason and others, uh, have been forced to... Uh, be, or they've been suspended, rather. But it's the media. I know it's a tough story. you got to get it right. So there's going to take time to get the facts. It should not take, uh, you know, four to five days to get that out there in Canada longer. Sweden's had the same kind of problem. Uh, they covered up two major events of similar, uh, similar magnitude uh, that the Swedish prime minister called a double barrel, a, a double betrayal of women, again by the police, again by the media. Here's my point. Some will clearly disagree with this. By not reporting these incidents, in the case of Sweden over a year, police and media fan the flames of anti-immigration sentiments. They're not helping those uh, thousands of immigrants uh, who are going to contribute to the country uh, where they're now living. Uh, They're not helping them. They're of good character. This has got to be brought out in the open. What happened in Cologne and Sweden to innocent women was an outrage, full stop. Who cares how, when, or where? They deserved more than a cover-up. And that's not racism to point that out. Uh, There are Canadian, German, and Swedish values when it comes to treatment of women. As I said, a very difficult subject, but it doesn't, rife with emotion, doesn't get help. Uh, Rather, it isn't advanced by covering things up. Tough subject. Maybe I can't do that in such a short period of time. In the meantime, go out, have a terrific weekend.